as a mixed reaction. Okay, we can work with that. That's all right. If we haven't met, my name is Ryan, the lead pastor here, and uh, super excited to continue our Christmas sermon series called Unclutter Christmas. But before we get to that, I want to say thank you to all those helping with decorations. The church building looks fantastic. The stage looks amazing. Uh, thank you for those who spent hours, I know, in here uh, getting it all set up. Appreciate you for that. And uh, speaking of Christmas, wanted to mention too, I know it's been maybe touched on maybe slightly here this service, but immediately after, or no, later today at 2 o'clock, uh, the New, uh, Be New Hope Beginnings Preschool, get that right, is having their Winter Fest celebration. It's from 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock, and it's going to be a phenomenal time. So if you've got little ones especially, you don't want to miss this. Uh, it, it's a way to raise support for the school, but they're going to have uh, games and crafts and a movie in here. Uh, Santa's coming on a fire truck. Uh, it doesn't get much cooler than that. So, I mean, it's going to be a great time for a great cause supporting our preschool. So uh, please come on out if you can and be a part of, of that time. All right, as I mentioned before, we are in uncluttered Christmas. So if you would, grab your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Luke, is where we're going to be in chapter 1 this morning. And uh, if you have a tablet or smartphone, you can go to uversion.com and follow along there digitally uh, uh, there at uversion. And so just by way of review, kind of get us caught up here. Last week we launched this sermon series. And we looked at, and what we're looking at is how to approach the Christmas season in a way that uh, Jesus doesn't get cluttered out and doesn't get you know, moved to the sides. I mean, we all know what it's like to be busy, to the stress, the calendar, the expectations, all of that coming in on us. And so to rethink how we go about Christmas, that we'd approach it with the right reasons and the right priorities. We'd identify where is the clutter that crowds out Jesus, and then we would make room for what's most important. Think of like your closet. Your closet could be packed with stuff, open the door, things fall out, there's clutter everywhere. But sometimes there's no room for Jesus if our life looks the same way. And so taking time, maybe removing something so that we can make room for what's most important. Sometimes it's the urgent and the unimportant that crowds out what really matters, and so, and which is Jesus. And so this, this Christmas season, we're taking a focus on that. Now, just by way of review, last week we looked at our first thing we're going to make room for this Christmas, which is make room for a new mindset. Mindset being a set of attitudes. And specifically, we looked at three different attitudes. You can go back on Facebook or on the church website and check these out for yourself and listen to the message. But we talked about three attitudes. The first one is having an attitude of thanksgiving this Christmas. Specifically, that we would be thankful for who God is and for the ways he's working in your life. Because as we do that, as we build that attitude into our lives, then God begins to work in us and we want to respond back to him and serve him more and make him the priority he deserves to be. So gratitude. The second attitude we looked at is humility. That this Christmas we would take time to have an attitude of humility where we say, you first, not me first. That we would say, I'm going to defer to you that your needs come before my own. And we looked at the example of Jesus from Philippians 2 with that. And then finally, the third attitude that we looked at was compassion. That this Christmas season that we would approach it with compassion. And compassion is, is, is the combination of feeling pity for someone, but you marry that to action. That you feel bad about something, but then you jump into action. You say, I want to do something about this. And the encouragement this Christmas season is that we'd open our eyes like Jesus did in Matthew 9. And that we would see the needs of people and we would respond to where they're at. That God would use us this Christmas season to be Jesus' hands and feet in somebody else's life. What a great perspective. That was last week. Making room this Christmas for a new mindset. If you have your bulletin, backside, grab a pen if you would. Here's your first fill in the blank. Our, our, um, what we're going to make room for today, what we're going to talk about today, it's this. That this Christmas, that you and I, we would make room 
for surrender. That we would make room for surrender. That's our big idea this morning. Now what I want to do is have us, as I mentioned before, in Luke chapter 1. I want to take us back to the first Christmas story and specifically look at the life of Mary this morning. We're going to talk about Mary. And I want us to, to look at her story from Luke's vantage point. And, and these are familiar verses in a lot of ways. We're going to go a little bit slower through these verses this morning and kind of take them in and unpack them a little bit to learn about the issue of and the topic of surrender. So let's go ahead and get started. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. It reads this. It says, in the sixth month, now you might say, okay, well, sixth month of, of what? Well, this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth is Mary's relative, and in her late age, God did a work there too, and she's about to have and give birth to who will be John the Baptist. And so this is her story, also told in Scripture, but that's the chronology here. So in the sixth month, that is of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Let's pause here real quick, just to get a picture of our setting here. We see that God sent his angel, Gabriel, who's his messenger angel, who shows up in different times and places in Scripture. And Gabriel shows up and he goes to, or gets sent by God, to Galilee. Now at this time, Galilee is a region in Israel that is, is known for being corrupt, for being a place that you want to avoid at all costs. It was not a, a delightful place. People didn't vacation there. That's not where you wanted to go. That's Galilee. And then within Galilee, there was the town of, village of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was the armpit of Galilee. So we're going from the terrible region to the worst town in the worst region. This is Nazareth, and this is where God sends Gabriel, and this is where we find Mary in this town of Nazareth. Now, at this time, scholars and archaeologists, they've determined that Nazareth is, was, at that time, about 60 acres in size. That's not very big. That's about five of New Hope's properties or so. 60 acres in size, about two to 600 people, and they had one well. This is a very small community. It's located about 75 miles north of Jerusalem. There's a map that we'll put up there that you can get an idea of where it's at. This is what we're talking about. A nothing village in the middle of nowhere in a place you didn't want to be. This is the kind of place where if you're on vacation, you have to drive through a place. Some of you have been to these kind of places. You pull in, there's nothing there. You get gas, grab a Slurpee, and just, you be thankful you don't live there as you drive away, right? That's what Nazareth is like, this little tiny backwoods village. Interestingly enough, in the book of Matthew, even a guy named Nathaniel, who would become one of Jesus' disciples, Nathaniel grew up right next to Nazareth. Think of rival high schools kind of a thing going on. And he says these words, can anything good come from there, speaking of Nazareth. That's this community. That's where this is happening at. This is the setting of this remarkable moment in human history as Gabriel shows up to deliver this message. Now notice too, verses 26 and 27, that we have, we have Luke, who is a medical doctor, twice calls out that Mary's a virgin, these two verses. If you have your Bible, I'd underline that or circle it. Bible reading tip, anytime something's repeated like that, it means it's important. Luke is trying to call this out. He's almost saying, okay, look, this is an important piece of information because later it's going to come up and be critically important. And so twice we see this. Now what else do we know about Mary except for these verses we see? that she is a virgin. Well, she's probably not, in fact, I'm sure she's not like how she's often portrayed. I've got a couple pictures to give you an example. 
oftentimes Mary's portrayed as a beautiful 30-somethings uh, uh, wealthy woman who had a crown on her head and a floating frisbee that kind of followed her around everywhere. Like that's, that's not who Mary was. Uh, in contrast, Mary was uh, likely very poor. She was likely illiterate. Because women at this time and in these back area villages, they were not trained in reading. Nobody did that for them. So likely was illiterate. There probably wasn't a whole lot going on for her at the age of about 13 to 15 is where this story probably picks up. Except that she's engaged to be married. That's probably exciting for her. Now when we think of engagement, we think of engagement as guy proposes to girl and now they're in that awkward stage of trying to figure out the wedding and what's going to happen. And it can be quick, it can be long. But did you know, interestingly enough, about 50% of engaged couples don't actually get to the altar. And that's just how our culture rolls. But in this time, this is different. We see Mary's engaged to, to Joseph, but they're actually married in every sense of the word. Because in this time, marriage happened in two different phases, if you will. The first phase was that the family would take their young girl and would find a young boy or a guy and would, would match them together, would call the priest. The priest would show up. They would sign a contract. There would be a brief ceremony. Yay, they're married. That's how it worked. But they didn't live married. That's how the second phase moved in. The husband then would go and prepare a home. He would get to work and he'd prepare a place for them to live. And that could take upwards of a year, a year of waiting. But once the year was over, then he would come and surprise her and with his groomsmen come and snatch up his bride and there would be the wedding celebration and then they would be married and function as a married couple. That's how it worked. But when we see Gabriel showing up here in Luke 26 and 27, Mary and Joseph, they're married. They're husband and wife in every legal sense of the term. They're not engaged in this kind of quasi, what are we trying to figure it out? We're not dating, we're not married, this is weird stage. They're much more than that. This is what's going on when Gabriel shows up. Let's keep going, verse 28. It continues on, it says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words. In the Greek, that word greatly troubled, what that means is agitated or confused. And that makes sense. Not every day an angel shows up and has these kinds of words to her. So she's agitated, she's confused. So she's greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And you will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. And so here God provides the name for this soon-to-be son. It's Yeshua, or we might even say Joshua, which means the Lord saves. So the name is provided. It continues on, it says that he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, or in other words, Israel, forever. His kingdom will never end push pause here real quick because I think we read these verses and for many of us you've read these and heard these verses year after year over and over and almost like we can get numb to it a little bit but just consider the bombshell that God through his angel just dropped on young Mary she's a 13 year old girl in a backwoods village She's trying to figure out junior high, and God just shows up and says, look, this is going to happen in your life. And, and the news that he gives is incredible. 
She's married, excuse me, engaged to a carpenter and looking forward to that. But if you think about it, history should not know anything about Mary. I mean, really, we shouldn't know anything about her because there's nothing quite remarkable until this moment going on for her in her life. But the angel shows up. And Gabriel has this incredible message to her out of nowhere. He, he says to her, you are highly favored by God. He says that twice, actually. He says, God notices you. Some of you this morning need to hear this as well. That God sees you. That God notices you. I think we can go through our daily lives and feel like I'm just one of a billion and what, what does God even see what I'm going through? But, but here we see God is a God who he favors and he, he notices, in this case, Mary. He says to her, he says, he knows all about you. And Mary, he is with you. I mean, these are incredible words of affirmation and love that he's pouring out to Mary. And then he says, the bombshell, you're going to have a baby and he's going to be a boy. And by the way, here's his name. And I've got, oh, a little something else to add to it. He's God. That's huge. He, 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 is, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one that everybody's been waiting for. He is the long-awaited Messiah and King. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And by the way, Mary, the maker of you too. I mean, just This is in the most incredible scene, if you can really kind of get into it and see it. This girl doesn't even have her driver's license yet, and yet she's being entrusted with, you are going to be the, the mother of God, the son of God, the long-awaited Messiah who will change the course of human history. This is an incredible moment here where Gabriel shows up. Her head is spinning. And I'm often wondering when I just read through scriptures, like what are these people thinking in this moment? What would you be thinking if you were in that scene in that moment? What would be going through your mind? And one of the things I love about the scriptures is how real it absolutely is. Because of all the things that God just said. And she's going to ask a question. And a good question is, what question would you ask to kind of clarify some of this? Mary goes right to the baby part. Like that's the part she's thinking about was like, blah, 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 baby. Blah, blah, blah. Like she's just like zeroing in on the baby part. So look with me at verse 34. She says this, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Or literally in the Greek, it means up to this point, I am a virgin. How is this going to work out? Good question. That's a very practical question. I think it's a fair one. And so she, wa she wants some details. Like, you made a grand announcement. Let's fill in some of these gaps here because this is going to be a little interesting. What's going to go on here? How is this going to work? Is this the kind of thing like after Joseph finishes our little one-bedroom apartment and, and we get this marriage thing going, is, is he going to be the father? Is it going to happen some other way? Um, by the way, this could go really bad really fast because if Joseph's not the dad and it happens a different, what's going on with that? What are other people going to say? What is Joseph going to say? Will my wedding dress still fit? I mean, right? So all these things are going through her mind as she's thinking about what's going on here. Verse 35. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. And then God graciously gives Mary a sign to confirm what he said is true. He says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month of pregnancy, that is. For nothing is impossible with God. 
And then check out this next verse. One, I think, one of the greatest verses in all the New Testament. A little middle school age young girl responds in this way to this news. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. That's incredible. That's an incredible response that she gives. And in this way, Mary becomes a tremendous example to every single one of us for what it looks like to have faith, for what it looks like to trust God. I mean, because consider what just happened. God just threw every single plan that Mary had for her life out the window. Everything that was solid in her life, everything that she was counting on, Everything that she was kind of mind mapping, this is going to happen next, and this is happening, that's going to be really special, and we'll move this and we'll do that. It's done. It's gone. God comes in and changes a script completely in her life. And if we're honest, we hate when he does that to us, don't we? Because there's times when he'll come in and all of a sudden you think things are going one direction and everything changes. You get that phone call, that doctor's report, something happens in your life and all of a sudden everything is different. And we don't like that. Because if we're honest, we like to be in control, don't we? We like to call the shots. We like to create the plan and say, God, if you would just hit that little rubber stamp approve on it, that would be fantastic and I'll go about my way and won't cause any problems. That's sometimes how we think. And yet here we see God shows up, changes everything in Mary's life, and she's still at her young age able to come to a place where she says, God, that's okay. You're in control. I'm here to serve you. And I think it gets even more significant because God in this moment does something for Mary. God put Mary in a position where he com she completely needs him to come through for her. Because really, she's now in a dangerous position. She's now in a position where she's at risk to lose everything in her life. The question, well, what would Joseph say? We know from the book of Matthew that Joseph's intention was to divorce her quietly. She would have lost him in a town of 200 and graduating class of three. I mean, there's not many guys, right? I mean, that's it. Where is she going to go to find another guy? And her reputation is shot. In fact, did you know at this time, as she ponders the question, well, what are other people going to think? At this time, if somebody was found pregnant out of wedlock, they would take that girl, strip her naked, throw rags on her, tie her to a post in the middle of town, and leave her there for hours upon hours. And the town would walk through and ridicule her and mock her and spit upon her. That would be her lot. And she would have lost everything. Her job her prospects, her friends, her family, her fiancé, her life, everything in her life was now at risk. And she was placed in a position that she had to 100% with incredible desperation say, God, I am dependent on you to show up and do something. I need you to come through. You ever been in that place? You ever been in that spot where, God, I need you to show up? Because if you don't show up, this is all going down and it's not going to be pretty. This is where Mary is. And this is where she's able to say, in that place, may it be to me as you have said. That's a picture of surrender. In fact, in your bulletin, because I think this is so important, it's a Bible verse, but I'd like you to just fill in those blanks if you would. There it is. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And maybe for some of us this morning, there's an area in your life 
and in my life as I've been wrestling with this all week. But you need to come before him and say, God, I've been holding back in this area. I give you some of this part of my life, but not this part. Or God, you're asking me to do something and I've been scared to do it, but I need to come to a place of surrender and say, God, may it be to me as you have said. I'm going to go for it. I'm trusting you in it. I don't know where you're at this morning. But maybe there's a place in your life these need to be your words as we follow the example of Mary. This picture of surrender. Because Mary, even at her young age, she, somehow she learned something. She learned that, that, that her life and her dreams and her body and everything about her was to serve him. And it wasn't God's job to serve Mary. Somehow she learned that before Gabriel showed up, that she was in a place to bow down in that posture of surrender. So here's the key. Here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. It's this idea. That surrender, when we think about surrender, it's not giving up. Because sometimes we think, oh, surrender means I quit. Or sometimes we get to a place in life where we're so frustrated and we're so confused about what God's doing, we just say, you know what, God, forget it. And we throw our hands up and we walk away. But that's not what we're talking about with surrender. What we're talking about is not giving up and quitting. We're talking about giving over. Where we come to a place in life, we say, God, I'm giving it all over to you. And so I'm going to give you everything that I have. Everything that I am, it's all yours. And, and, and I'm happy to hand it over. I trust you in this. Where you can say and I can say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. Interestingly enough, a few decades later, Jesus, Mary's son, would be in a, a garden. The, and, and he would be there wrestling with God in prayer. Because in a moment, he would be arrested. In a few hours, he would be tried. And he would be hung on a cross. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 26 says these words in verse 39 that echo the very spirit of Mary, his mother, much earlier, saying this, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So I want to ask again one more time. Where in your life are these words appropriate? Where in your life is it time for you to say, you know what, God, it's time to hand this over underneath your lordship and trust you with it? Where, is it, where in your life is there a place to do that? And this Christmas, I want to encourage us that we would make room for this kind of perspective and this kind of action. That we would follow the example of Mary and the example of Jesus. That we would trust him enough to hand over our plans and again, our dreams, that we'd hand over our relationships and our finances, that we would hand over our messes, we'd hand over our clutter. We've got plenty of it. It's packed in the corners of our life. We hide it, we shove doors, keep it behind doors. We don't want to deal with it, but it's there. And the amazing thing about God is that he wants it all. He wants the thing, stuff we think is the good stuff, and he also wants the clutter and the messes. And he invites us to say, don't give up, but would you give over all of that to me and would you trust me with it? And would you allow me to do something very, very special with it? Would you allow me to do a work in your life? You can't do it on your own. Would you trust me? That becomes our question this morning. As we approach Christmas, I think it's time to do some surrendering in our lives. And so to that end, I want to ask a couple questions as we close. 
two questions, in fact. They're both fill-in-the-blank questions. But I want you to think about it. My encouragement is to do so today, before the day is over, this week, that you'd wrestle with these, just between you and God. Here's the first one. The first one is this. Where? Where do you need to surrender this Christmas? What area of your life is it time to say, enough, hanging on to it, I'm ready to give it over? Where is that? You know, sometimes I think we have a mindset that says that God, he uses the great people of the world. That God uses the great people in the church. You know what I think? I don't think God necessarily uses the great people. I think God uses the surrendered people. The common person. The woman, the man, the boy, the girl. Who says, God, may your will be done in my life. And they live their life with that posture. God, would you do something special? Would you do a work through my surrendered heart? And again, I go back to the example of Mary. She's not to be worshipped, but she is an example. And here you have a young girl who is able to articulate these very things and live this out day by day, which is a reminder that sometimes we come before God and we say, God, I surrender. And maybe you did that the first time when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then after that, it becomes a situation where you have to do it almost day in and day out of God waking up every day. God, I surrender to you today. And I'm going to have to do it again tomorrow of, of continually saying, God, I'm giving over the parts of my life. And do you think Mary was prepared to do all this? Because if it feels overwhelming this morning, if it feels like this is too hard to do this, to surrender it all to him, again, go back to Mary. Do you think she was prepared for this message from Gabriel? Do you think she was prepared to be the mother of the Son of God? I mean, she, she didn't have the, the, the years of experience. She didn't have the stuff. I mean, I doubt in her journey to Bethlehem, she had di uh, diapers, bottles, and a you know, diaper genie you know, strapped to the donkey as she's heading down. She didn't have the stuff. She didn't have all the different trappings that we think meet what it means to be prepared for something. But what she had was a God, I surrender to you perspective. And you know what? That was enough. And so again, I want to encourage you and ask you this morning, where do you need to surrender in your life? What is that thing that you're hanging on to you say, God, if I'm honest, and he knows it anyway, this is a part of my life I've never actually handed over. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's control. But God, I've never actually trusted you with fill in the blank. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a situation that's really hard. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's the future and something you're going through and you're wondering how's this going to play out. Maybe it's health, whatever it is. But come to a place to say, God, I, I, I've never really trusted you with this. Today's a, day, a great day to start to do that. Here's the second question. The first one is where. Where do you need to surrender? Here's the second one. Do you believe that God is trustworthy? I mean really believe that he's trustworthy. This is just my opinion, so take it for a grain of salt. But in my own life, and as I've worked with people over the years, I have found the reason that we don't surrender is simply because we don't trust. It's simply because we've gone through things in our lives or we're at a place in our life or we've, we've wondered enough about the character of God that we say, God, yeah, I know in the Bible it says you're trustworthy, but, but at the end of the day, I'm just scared to trust you. I'm scared to turn it over. Because then I don't have it. Do you, do you, 
I mean, just deep down, just you and God. You don't have to answer out loud, raise your hand, none of that. Do you trust God? And if not, why? And I also encourage you to go back on your life and think through the ways that he's been faithful to you. Of Think through ways that he has shown up in your life of things that he has done to remember who he is. And if this morning you're at a place and you're looking for a reason to trust God, you're looking for a reason, like you're saying, okay, Pastor Ryan, so but why should I do that? Why should I trust God? Do you know where I've been in these last few years? Do you know what I'm going through today? And the answer is in some words that Gabriel said to Mary, I think in verse 34, I don't have it in front of me, but in verse 34, where, and I would encourage you in your Bible, circle it, underline it, exclamation points, highlight it, rainbows. I don't care what you got to do to call it out where he says, for nothing is impossible with God. That's why you should trust him. For nothing is impossible for God. You might say, well, yeah, but I'm going through. No, it's not impossible for God. He can handle that. Yeah, but at work, I've got this thing. Nothing's impossible for God. Yeah, but you don't know this relationship thing I'm going Nothing is impossible for God. And to remember that, to memorize it, to circle it, to read it, to put it on a fridge or mirror, wherever you're going to see it, to remember that wherever you're at in life, nothing is impossible for God. Why should you trust him? Because he's good, he's in control, he can handle it, he loves you, and he wants to do a work in it. Nothing is impossible for God. And so as the band comes up this morning, I just want to wrap up with just one last thought. One last thought. In light of what we looked at, the example of Mary this morning, where she says in a surrender posture, God, may it be to me as you have said. And we consider the Gabriel. And Gabriel, who, by the way, is with God in the throne room, who sees God, who knows God, who knows what God can do and declares about God who he knows. Nothing's impossible for God. In light of these two ideas, I want to encourage us this morning to live a life of surrender and trust. But I want to encourage all of us this morning to not do this alone. You know, last week I introduced is to my right and to your left, the tree of hope. And I want to just do it again. And I want to invite all of us, every single person in this room, to go to the tree. And the tree functions in different ways. The, the tree has, you see right there, some bulbs, a lot of bulbs actually. And these, each of those bulbs has a name on there. And you can walk up and you can look at those names. You can read those names. And these are the names of people that you love and I love who have passed away. Who you had to say goodbye to them far too soon. Whether it was this year or in years past. Either one. They're in memory of. I've got some of my own bulbs up there. Of people I love and miss. And you know when it comes to Christmas time, we miss them even more, don't we? And so that becomes a way that you can put your name on there and you can remember them and we can be praying for them. Not praying, excuse me. We can be praying for you as we remember them on that tree. So we have the bulbs up there. You also have, and it's in your bulletin. In fact, if, would you grab it, please, the prayer card? It's right there in your bulletin. It says the prayer card, tree hope on one side. You turn it over. And this becomes a place where you can write down a prayer request. If there's something that you're going through this Christmas, if there's a, a hurt that you're feeling, a situation, a, a pain, a loss, whatever it is, or if it's not you, maybe it's somebody that you know and love or somebody else in the church, and they're going through something, you can take a moment, you can write that down. You just we fold them up so they're confidential. We string them together to make a, an ornament, and they're up there on the tree. You might say, well, nobody's doing it. 
Well, the reason there's, well, I see one, but I, the reason there's not many prayer requests up there is because last service, we had dozens and dozens of people there putting prayer requests up there and other people going, and this is for all of us going up there and snatching them and grabbing those prayer requests. Would you commit, would you adopt, would you take on somebody this Christmas and would you commit to pray for them? You may not know them. And the cards you get may be anonymous. Mine is. But I'm praying for them each, each day. This is for all of us. This is the church being the church to each other. This is, and let me give you a real quick story, and I'm going to keep it vague on purpose. But this is, this is not just for adults. This is for youth, too. My 13-year-old grabbed the card from last week. It was anonymous, but we knew the situation. And she's been praying, and I actually, because I saw it, I was like, I want to pray with you. So I photocopied, and I've been praying for them, too. But we found out last night that this situation just took a turn for the worse. And this person ended up in the hospital. And it's not great. And it's hard. And it's scary. But she's already been praying. And we have too. There's already forward momentum. There's already people around this young girl that we're going to be continuing to pray for and support her and their parents. This is the church being the church. So would, would you please go there? You can do a bulb. You can do a prayer request for yourself or a loved one. Would you take a prayer request from someone else and you say, I'm going to pray. And if there's a name on there, maybe reach out to them. Shoot them a text message. Shoot them an email. Hey, you don't know me and I don't know you, but I just want you to know you're not alone. I got you. I got your back. I'm going to pray for you this Christmas. Because nobody should go through it by themselves. This is what it looks like to love. This is what it looks like to surrender, to trust. And I know it takes risk to go there, but I want to invite everybody to go to the Tree of Hope this morning. Can we pray together and then we're going to worship? And then you'll be free to go to the tree. And let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the, the chance this morning to, to look at the first Christmas, to look at the example of Mary. This moment of a bombshell announcement that changes everything, and yet she comes to a place where she can articulate surrender, of giving over all of her life, of saying, not my will be done, but your will. Father, in my own life, there's been far too many days, far too many years, I've said, may my will be done, not yours. That's not what I want. And Father, as your church, that's not what we want. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help each of us, wherever we're at in our spiritual journey, that we'd come to a place, whether for the first time this morning, or whether it be for the hundredth time this week, where we say, God, not my will, but your will be done this Christmas season. We love you and we trust you. Praise in your name. And everyone said, Amen.